Well, good morning, Mountain. It's good to be together. My name is Jared Fox. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm usually uh, across town hanging out at the Abingdon campus, but uh, whatever your campus you're at today, just good to be together. Uh, or if you're watching online, um, we are in week three of the series called This Is Us. Uh, last week, Ben talked a little bit about this series, and yeah, it is a play off a TV show. Uh, how many of y'all have seen the show? Just curious, but raise of hands. Okay, quite a few of us. This is the title slide uh, for it. This is real. This is complicated. This is life, right? Uh, and I've, I've not, confession time, I've not actually seen the show. Uh, I've heard a lot about it. I know my wife watches it, and she talks about it. Uh, and just a couple weeks ago, I walked downstairs on a Tuesday night, and I turned the corner, and there's my wife on the couch, uh, TV on, uh, eyes puffy, red, uh, Kleenexes, and a lot of this. <laughs> you good? And so like any concerned husband, I go over, hey, dear, are you okay? What's wrong? Everything okay? I just, this is a show. It's so real, and it's them, and it's us. And I was like, oh my goodness, what's wrong, right? And so uh, as I started to think about this and think about the show, and I Googled it this week to learn more, uh, one husband actually retitled this show. I think it's pretty accurate here. This is torture. This is torture. So I asked my wife, like, what's the appeal? Why do you like it so much? And she said, there's this sense of connectedness to the characters. They feel real. They feel relatable. You get to know them. Uh, there's a real family dynamic. You can relate to it. That's how life is, right? There's people you can relate to. There's family dynamics. This is, this is my us here. This is a picture of my family. Uh, the entire gang, my brothers, my sister-in-laws, the, my mom and dad, the matriarch and patriarch here. Uh, there's a lot I could say about each of them, right? The uh, things about their personality that make them them. But we'll zoom in a little bit closer to just my crew here in Maryland. Uh, this is my wife, uh, Sarah. Sarah's amazing. Uh, I'll brag on her for just a second. She is uh, one of the most amazing women I've ever met in my life. And a lot of people agree with that. And when you talk about Sarah, I'll just give you this as an example. Uh, I've worked at two churches in my ministry career, a church in Arizona and a church here. And both of those churches, when I went to interview, my wife comes with me because ministry is a family thing. Uh, and we go and we interview. Uh, and then afterwards, when I finally get that phone call that says, hey, we'd like to offer you a job, uh, this is the way both those conversations went. Like, we, we like you, but we really like Sarah. Do you think you guys would move? And I got to tell you, I'm sick of the joke, personally. I've heard it too many times, but it's true. She's amazing. Uh, this is my little boy, Isaac. Uh, he is all boy. Oh, my goodness. He did not want to sit for this picture, but he is all boy. He will bulldoze you. He's amazing. Uh, and this is my little girl, my Ella girl. She is as sweet as could be. All girl. Sweet as pie. Uh, they are, in many ways, uh, just chaotic and fun. I think this next picture actually describes them a little bit better. Yeah, that's my little boy. He's actually Batman. I don't know if you know that. And my little girl, she's a princess. Oh my goodness. With her tongue out, she's silly, but she is a princess. And as I, I think about these two, there's actually a picture that describes them even a little more clearly. Here it is. Yeah. Her, my little Ella, constantly running for her life from her big bad brother. Uh, that's us, right? And oftentimes, my wife and I, as we go about the week, we, we see our kids do something or say something, and our response is always like, well, that's just Isaac. No, he's different. That's Isaac. He, that's Ella. She's different than Isaac. And th that's who they are. And you do this too. Like somebody says something or does something around you and you respond, well, that's, that's just Billy. Or that's how Sue is. You know, that, that's them. There are little things about all of us that make us us. And the same is true of our church. There are little things about mountain that make mountain mountain. These things are us. They're real. They're tangible. They can be lived out in every single one of us. There are a bunch of little phrases that fully embody the type of church that we are and that we strive to be. That's what this series is all about. 
It's setting the stage for who we are, revealing what our lives would look like if lived with a common mission, a common purpose, and pointed towards a common goal and objective. We want to understand what makes mountain mountain. And so we say, this is us. We mean, this is us. We mean it in the general sense. Like wherever you're sitting, whatever campus you're at, if you're online, if you consider mountain your church home, then the things we are talking about are us. This is us. It's what makes mountain mountain. Little axioms we live by. It's the DNA of who we are. And so last week, Ben kicked us off by talking about mission first. We're a mission outpost. We'll do anything short of sin to reach someone who's far from Christ. Our mission is to make more and to make better disciples. We're a church for those who aren't here yet. The mission is before us, and we'll do whatever it takes to accomplish it. If you weren't here last week or even the week before, for that matter, I'd encourage you to hop online and check it out and kind of be brought up to speed. I think that mission first element, that piece, is so important in setting a trajectory for where we're heading in this series, but also just as a church. So mission first, and then this week, stay humble and stay hungry. This is us. Stay humble and stay hungry, a phrase we use around here often. We realize how easy it would be for a church like Mountain, who's had a lot of success in advancing the gospel. We've seen God doing some amazing things through this church. How easy it would be for us to kind of swell with some self-centered pride and to think that we've done something important instead of giving the credit to God. And so we say often, stay humble and stay hungry. And if you think about it, the antithesis to humility is pride. Pride something we probably all feel like we struggle with. It's something we have to overcome. You know, when I was thinking about this message, I started to think about the culture we live in and how pride is such a relevant and, and, and easily seen part of our lives. You know, we're told to get ahead, to do whatever it takes, to climb the ladder, to build our palace, our home, uh, to get stuff, to, to make a name for yourself. But nobody likes someone who's arrogant or prideful. Right? It doesn't matter if you're a politician doesn't matter if you're a celebrity, a professional athlete. doesn't matter if it's your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, your classmate. Arrogance and pride doesn't look good on anybody. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. I'm constantly fighting against my own pride. But what I've realized is this isn't a new phenomenon. This is something that's just relevant in our culture. When we examine scripture, when we examine history, pride has been something that God's people have been overcoming time and time and time again. I mean, think about it. the Old Testament, New Testament, we see scripture speaking against pride and elevating humility. Religious rulers in Jesus' days were busting with pride, showing off their position and how godly they were. The battle against pride and the fight for humility, while prominent and needed in our culture, it's as old as time. It's something we need to take serious. It was just as relevant to us as it was to many great heroes of our faith. But like many aspects of godliness, Jesus shows us the best way. He shows us a better way. After all, Jesus himself lived out a posture of humility from birth to the grave. We see this. You, you might remember this from a few weeks back. This thing called Christmas. Uh, and we celebrated the birth of a Savior, the Messiah, born in a manger. We hear it at Christmas every year. And sometimes I wonder, does the repetition of it make it like white noise? We hear it, but we don't keep understanding the significance of it. The fact that the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, steps out of heaven in all of his glory, holding the power of the universe in his hands, and he came to this earth, born in a manger, 
to feel what his people feel, born to a poor family, to experience what they experience, to be tempted as they are tempted. Not born into wealth, not sitting on a throne looking down in judgment, but truly living life with shoulder to shoulder amongst his people. And we know that that Savior who came to this world in the most humble of circumstances left and equally as humble of circumstances. Jesus literally stepped off of his throne and clothed himself in humility. And we're to be God's people, right? If we call ourselves Christ followers, we are to act like Christ. That's a commandment that Christ gives us, that if we're going to follow him, we're supposed to lean into his teachings and live like he lived. And throughout Jesus' life, he gave us all of these little truths that lead towards humility. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Love your brother as yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Humility is, in its simplest form, I think, defined in this way. Lowering ourselves, like Christ did, by putting love into action, like Christ did, and putting the needs of others before your own, like Christ did. We're called to be people of humility, and if you know Jesus... If you truly know Jesus, then you have to know humility. The Apostle Paul talks about this very thing in a letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi. He says, therefore, if... Actually, I really want you all to get this. I want you to own this verse. I want you to know what this verse is about. So the yellow stuff, we're going to say together. You ready? You ready? You awake? Here we go. All of our campuses, here we go. Therefore... That was okay. Wake up. All right, come on. Abingdon, I want to hear you. Bel Air, Edgewood, wherever you're at. We're going to try it again. Mountain Road, let's show them what's up. Ready? Therefore, good job, okay? You have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, I almost got you, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. This is the big if. What Paul is saying is, hey, church at Philippi, hey, mountain, if you are us, if you are following Christ, if you know Jesus, then, there's this then, there's something else coming. And when Paul says this, you expect him to say, If you know Jesus, then, and the list of things he could say is a mile long, right? Jesus lived a good life with lots of great attributes. We can learn a lot from the life of Jesus, but Paul focuses in on one thing, and here's what he says. Do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There it is, humility. If, then, humility. And the church at Philippi was a good church. It was a church doing a lot of good things to advance the gospel. They were a generous church. They were moving mission forward. Don't get me wrong, they had their issues just like every church does. But for the most part, they were a church that Paul was very proud of. Yet he still pauses in the middle of this book to them to say, if you really love Jesus, then let me remind you how important Humility is. And I think the church of Philippi actually think of mountain in a lot of ways. 
And I feel like Paul is entering into our lives right now and saying, here's the deal. You guys are doing a good work. Congratulations. Keep going. If you love Jesus, then remember, humility has to be at the top of the list of attributes that you live out. That shouldn't be a surprise to us, right? Scripture is just riddled with passages, anecdotes of humility. Jesus himself says the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Peter calls us to humble ourselves. James says the same, humble yourselves before the Lord. Ephesians speaks about how humility is how we show love to others. Proverbs has countless, countless statements about pushing down pride and elevating humility. All throughout Scripture, humility is praised as the posture of God's people. I mean, when I started studying this week, I thought easily this could be a four-hour message. So buckle up. You ready? we got a lot to do and a little bit of time to do it in. But most importantly, it's the posture that Jesus lived. Christ gave us the example. And Paul tells us what the if is. It's humility. And then he gives us an illustration of what it looks like. If you are with Christ, then live in humility. Like, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness like you and me, and being found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself. It's good to know, isn't it? Sweet, like Jesus humbled himself. But there's more. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Yes, even death on a cross. There's something there that we have to know and we have to realize. The ultimate example of humility is Christ's death on a cross. It's Jesus' sacrifice for you. You know, one of the things I really love about Jesus, and I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a lot to love about Jesus, but one of my favorite things about Jesus is he's, he tells us, like, straight up, the Christian walk's going to be difficult. Okay, it's going to be hard. There's going to be moments of trial, but Jesus himself had done everything that he calls us to do. He has experienced, he has lived it, he went first. And when Jesus tells us to be humble, we could say, yes, Lord, because Jesus humbled himself all the way to the point of the cross. The humiliating death of a cross that no one expected, that's how Jesus showed his humility to us. And we are supposed to have the same mindset of that of Christ Jesus, to be like him, to live like him, and to show his love for us by taking the nature of a servant. Humility has to become a central part of who we are because it's how we grow. The commentary I read, it said this, Christian maturity doesn't come through special mystical insights available to only a few, but rather through the patient practice of the familiar virtues of love and service to others. The pursuit of Jesus is the pursuit of humility. Pursuit of Jesus is the pursuit of humility. And if we pursue humility, we show Jesus to others. Simply enough, when we serve someone else, it tells them how Jesus first served us. When we put the needs of someone else before our own, it elevates them in a way that says somebody loves you in spite of you. Humility says we want to show you Jesus. I heard it described this way. It says humility is choosing to serve someone else knowing 
that they have nothing to offer in return. Man, have you done that lately? Let that sink in. Humility is choosing to serve someone else knowing that they have nothing to offer in return. That's what Christ showed us, and that's what we're supposed to show others. Humility also gives God the credit. It takes us off of the pedestal, and it puts God in his rightful place. It attacks our self-righteousness and our ability to think that we actually had anything to do with it, but instead it was God working through us. We have this phrase that we use around here all the time. When God starts to bless us and we get to see God doing amazing things through the life of this church, we always step back and we say, as Psalm 118 puts it, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes, but it's God who's doing it. Or Psalm 34 puts it, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. Every now and then we've got to celebrate what God's doing, and we've got to declare it, and we've got to talk about how God is moving, but our boast will always be in the Lord. And the humble will hear it and they'll rejoice. When we pursue humility, it takes us off the pedestal and it puts God in his rightful place. And when God is leading the way, when God gets the credit, we get more done because God trusts us with more. We've got to step back. And we've got to say, God, this is about you. Use me how you want. And as we do that, he will bless us and use us in amazing ways. And the third one, By pursuing humility, we get motivated. We get ready to run. We get excited. This is the key. You know, we, I hear this, we hear this all the time about Jesus, how he loves us, and he died for us. And I hope, just like the Christmas story, that it never becomes mundane. It never becomes white noise. It never becomes something that we get sick of hearing because it's the most important truth in all of history, that Jesus Christ himself stepped off of the throne put on flesh and blood, and entered the story. There is nothing more humbling to me than to know that I cannot earn or achieve, and I don't even deserve the gift of Jesus Christ coming to this world and dying for me. Isn't that humbling to know? Have you ever received a gift that you just can't wait to tell somebody else about? I know Christmas just came, right? And a couple days before Christmas, we got a package at the door. It was from my mother-in-law. Oh, God bless her. This package came, and it said to Isaac Fox and Jared Fox. It's like, ooh, okay. So we called her up, like, hey, the package came in. You want us to wait till 25th, or you want us to go? Just go on and open it. Okay, cool, if you say so. So we ripped this package open, and my little boy, and he pulls out an Xbox One. And we're like, woo! Xbox, are you kidding me? I immediately rip out my phone and I start texting my friends. Hey, I got an Xbox One. We can play together now. Isaac shoots out the door and down the street to his buddy Aiden's house and runs in. I got one too. We can start playing together now. We were so pumped for Xbox One. We want to tell everybody about it. Fast forward to Christmas Day, right? It's my, my wife's turn to open a present. She gave me a list. I discarded it. I knew what she wanted. So we start opening presents, and I saved the, the present I got her for last, of course, and it's kind of over beside the tree all by itself, and we open present after present, and finally I'm like, all right, dear, this one's for me, and I bring it over, and I sit in front of her. She reaches down, and she opens it up. She tears the, the, the paper back, and she looks at it, and she goes, it's a Berkey water filter. Now, I don't, know, I don't know if you know about Berkey water filters, but these things are the Cadillac no, they are the Bentley, okay, of water filters. You want, this is the sort of thing when you buy it, the government like flags your house as the place to go if all the filtration systems in the world break down and they need fresh water. You're going to come to my house, okay? 
And I look at her, and she opens this box, and she looks at it, and there's the Berkey water filter. It's a Berkey water filter, and she's kind of stone-faced at first. But then all of a sudden, you got me a Berkey water filter. I look over at Isaac, like, yeah, we got it, man. She was so excited. She was so pumped. When I look back at my wife, she has her phone out, and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm texting all my friends. I got a Berkey water. Like, you dork, really? We learned two things from the story. One, the gift she received and the gift I received shows that she has entered adulthood quicker than I have. <laughs> and two, when you receive something good, you want to tell somebody about it. You want to tell somebody about it. Is there any better gift that's been given to us in our life than the love of Christ? Are you not humbled to know that Jesus chose you. And the great thing about a gift is you get it, but you don't deserve it. I didn't deserve an Xbox. My wife didn't deserve a water filter. But it's still a gift given to us. Jesus Christ entered the story and gave us the gift of salvation free of charge. If we just say that we love you, there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to take hold of it. All you can do is love Jesus and in return... You receive the grace of God. That's humbling. The great thing is, this is the sort of gift that you can turn around and give to somebody else. And if we are humbled to the point of saying, God, I don't deserve it, but you've given it to me and thank you, then we should be motivated to take that gift and share it with somebody. We need to stay humble and realize we can't do it on our own. God has to be in it. God has to be moving through it. This is only by the grace and the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ that this gift is even available to us. Be humble and say, God, this is you. It's not me. But then be hungry because you've gotten a taste of the Lord Most High who has said, I have given you a gift. And be hungry to take that gift and share it with everyone you know. But know as God gives you success and he gives you victories and people come to know Jesus, you had nothing to do with it. It was all him. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes, and we will keep pointing to him. Stay humble and stay hungry. Humility is a foundational element to creating the hunger within us. Paul knew this. Paul talks about this. Paul actually had done a lot to achieve. The book of Philippians, Paul actually lists out in the next chapter his pedigree. I was the Jew of Jews. I followed the law perfectly. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Everything I could do to earn God's love, I had done. And he lists all of the reasons that he should be able to do this on his own, all the ways he thought he had earned the approval and the love of God. And then Paul says, all of those things, the power, the prestige, the obedience, those things that were once in the win column, I have moved to the loss column. And none of those compare to the surpassing greatness of Christ Jesus, my Lord, and knowing him. Those things are now garbage. And knowing Jesus, pursuing Jesus, pursuing humility is now the win, the victory that I chase day in and day out. What I love about Paul is he's hungry. Oh, man, is he hungry. Paul has done a lot. He's lived a missionary's life. As a matter of fact, when he pens this letter, he's sitting in prison. If anyone could put their feet up and say, you know what, I think I've done enough, it would be Paul. It would be Paul, but he doesn't. He goes on and he says this to the church of Philippi. Not that I've already obtained all of this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I am going to press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, the medals of yesterday, the little victories along the way, I'm not going to let them slow me down. I'm not going to let them say that I have done enough. But I am going to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul gets it. He's humbled himself. He's experienced Christ. Oh man, is he hungry. He wants others to know it. He wants them to experience it. The goal for Paul was to be with Christ, but until that happens, he says, I'm going to act like Christ, and I will press on. You know, I think about the ministry at Mountain. It would be easy for us to become complacent. God has done a lot through this church. Over 5,000 people worshiping together at four campuses every weekend. Dozens of churches planted all around the world. Thousands of kids sponsored. Ben mentioned last week, he rattled off this list of a bunch of stuff that God, and we're going to keep saying that, right? Stuff God has done through this church. And we've been able to witness and participate in it and celebrate it. And all of that could lead us to a place of becoming complacent and lazy. But Paul's words, they offer us a fresh reminder that we need to let resonate in our mind. We have not arrived. We have not gotten there. There's still work to be done, and we will press on until Christ calls us heavenward. Simply enough, when we experience the love and the humility of Christ, it changes things. Let me challenge you with this. If you're the same person today that you were before you met Jesus, Something's wrong. Before Jesus, we live for ourselves. After Jesus, we live for everyone else. Like Paul says, we're supposed to be like Christ, to humble ourselves and to be hungry. And that should motivate us. I was thinking about how to illustrate this, and it just makes sense. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We remember and celebrate him as a great man who lived a life of humility. He was a great visionary leader who ushered in a new era, but did so using the tool of humility. He advanced civil rights not by tactics of violence and disobedience, but rather that through humility and love. This is one of his quotes that I love. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Isn't that good to hear? Everybody can be great because anyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace. I recognize Jesus. I'm humbled by how he loves me. I have a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. The Lord has done this, and I will live it out. You know, I was thinking as we were preparing for this weekend, there's actually a friend of mine that works here on staff who who has a, a crazy story. It's amazing to see what God has done in his life. And I thought it'd be good for him to share it as an example of humility. So would you all join me in welcoming out my friend Rob? Hey, man. Hey. Welcome. This, so this is Rob Arsenal. He's our group's pastor here. Uh, and Rob has been around Mountain for a while, um, longer than I have. And as I've gotten to know different guys uh, who have kind of been on a journey of faith, and I always ask them, hey, tell me your story. Uh, almost all of those guys at some point mention this guy. To me, that's just amazing. It's an attribute to who he is. So I want to hear some of your story today, uh, but first, tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, since we're sharing pictures, I think I got to start off with our crazy blended family. 
Uh, Cindy and I have a yours, mine, and ours clan. Those three beautiful girls on the right are my girls, son and daughter in the middle. There you go. And our ours part of the equation there on the left. And then, yeah, show the bigger clan there if you start throwing in uh, husbands, wives, boyfriends, grandkids. The picture keeps getting bigger. Cindy and I were actually able to share our blended family story a couple years back as part of the Love Handles sermon series. And if you're a blended family right now struggling anyway, I'd encourage you to go back and check out that message. Yes, yeah, so that's a beautiful example of who you are now. Uh, but you've shared your story with me. It's clear you've been on a journey and God's done some stuff in you. So tell us that story. Well, I've got to go back a little bit. Uh, it's hard to put my finger on it, but I really think it all changed. Uh, senior year of college, when out of the blue I decided to quit college, I'd been working in the restaurant business and decided to open a restaurant in New York City, which in itself wasn't horrendous. But the way in which I came home to tell my ex-wife that I was doing it actually was. I really just came home and said, hey, pack up our baby, and keep in mind she was pregnant with our second, and our things because we're moving to New York to open a restaurant. She said, I don't want to move to New York. And my reply was, I wasn't asking. Ouch. So you can imagine uh, living a life to serve my needs. Uh, and this idea of success and the pursuit of success as I saw it, working more, opening more restaurants, making more money didn't exactly lead to happiness and success. And almost 10 years later, after having failed in that first business venture, failed as a husband and father, my ex-wife and I decided to call it quits. And if you weren't quite sure how much of a selfish jerk I was yet, let me further confess, after have, spending several weeks figuring out where's the stuff gonna go, who are the girls gonna go with, when and where, we sat down our three little girls, 10, 8, and 5 at the time to tell them mommy and daddy were getting a divorce. And in the pit of my own selfishness, I failed to realize that we did this on my middle daughter's 8th birthday. Yeah, so you, you kind of hit a bottom in a way your pride had overtaken you. You'd seen some business success, but your pride was, was overshadowing that. Uh, but you're sitting here now today, so the story obviously makes a turn at some point. Walk us through that. Well, I had to face the cold, hard facts that up until that point in my life, uh, what I thought was the pursuit of success uh, had really not worked out for me. Uh, it led to a failed marriage, failed business, and as that last story illustrates so well, uh, failed as a father. My entire existence to that point could really just be summed up in the word selfish. And I can remember thinking how utterly disappointed my biggest hero, my father, would have been. And at that point, the only constant encouragement I had besides those three little girls was my mom, who continued to be my biggest cheerleader. In fact, she still takes credit to this day of introducing me to my wife, Cindy, which is a true story. You're just not going to get to hear that today. And it was Cindy who, after our very first date, invited me to attend Mountain. I felt like it was a trick question because I really wanted a second date. So I said, sure, I'll go to church, but I'm Sorry, never going yeah, to be one of those dancing down the aisles uh, people. So that next date leads me to Mountain, and I'm here, and I start to learn about this completely new way of thinking and living. I hear about this man called Jesus and the humble way in which he went about living his life and ultimately his death. So I'm hearing stories about this man who gave his life for me, despite my selfishness, my sin, yet he asked for nothing in return, just this free gift of grace, and all I had to do was say yes. That pushed against everything I had learned that taught achievement and success and those types of things. And here's Jesus with the exact opposite message, yet he loved me just the way I was and for exactly who I was. Now I see husbands sitting in church with their arms around their wives. I'm invited to participate in these weird things called groups. 
There's all these opportunities to serve others by myself. As a matter of fact, I remember one of the first times I got to serve was back in kids' ministry with my wife. I'm like, okay, this should be pretty easy. I walk in. We're not even in there two minutes. Two kids running each other. Bust their heads open. There's blood. I'm like, that's definitely not for me. <laughs> all right, so we got, we got to pause there. Rob's no longer serving in kids' ministry for a reason, okay? <laughs> Those of you who have kids, don't worry. They're fine. They're in good hands. Rob's here. Yeah. Well... <laughs> I have a restaurant, so it seemed like volunteering to be the food coordinator for the Habitat for Humanity build makes sense. I got involved in the homeless shelter. I was ushering. I was just learning about all these opportunities to serve others, and it took the focus off of me. I was really just modeling what Jesus came and modeled for us, putting other needs before my own, leading in groups, being accountable with and to godly men begin to shape me now as the husband and father that I want to be. My pride begins to slowly melt away, and I start to put others' needs before my own, sacrificing my will for God's will. Yeah, so it's, it's been, I think you told me, about 18 years since you gave your life to Christ. It's a long time, and you've been on this journey, yet one of the things I know about Rob is he's just as passionate about who Jesus is today as, as I believe he was 18 years ago, uh, if not, maybe even more so. And so tell me a little bit, like, why, why are you still so hungry for other people to know Jesus? Well, my, my experience alone, so 18 years ago, we didn't know what it meant to raise godly children. So we saw this group advertised, Growing Kids God's Way. Huh, that sounds like a good idea. Let's read the Bible and learn how to raise our kids. What was great about that group the first four weeks were a marriage study that helped me learn how to be a better husband. Uh, so in addition to that, I jump into a men's group called Spring Training. I start reading the Bible with this group of men on a regular basis. I join another study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. I just had this, star, this starving. I was hungry for God's word. In all these groups and reading the Bible regularly, I finally realized what I've been chasing after my entire life. I've been trying to fill my heart and soul with accomplishments and success, where now I'm able to fill my heart and soul with God's word, with prayer, with this idea of doing for others because of what Christ did for me. And he was the only person who could fill that inner longing that I'd always had. And he ultimately would be what would make my life complete. I'm now part of a healthy community that loves and cares for one another. As a matter of fact, Cindy and I are still in a weekly couples group after 18 years. I'm still in a weekly men's group. Yeah, so fast forward a little bit. Um, you're now on our staff team. It sounds like uh, a lot of what you do now, you were actually doing for free before, so I don't know why we decided to start paying you, but somebody made that decision. Uh, walk us through that journey. How did you become part of our staff team? Well, they did, and it was just as funny to me, actually, as well. So as part of leading groups, I would sit down uh, with Alex Lozada, our lead group pastor at the time, and I'd always talk about, well, what's the next uh, sermon series going to be on? What's the next alignment? I always wanted to get books and curriculum and kind of prepare in advance. Uh, for the groups I was leading. And this particular day, we're actually eating in my restaurant, and he says, well, I don't want to talk about that today. I want to talk about you coming to work for the church. Well, after I was done laughing, I'm like, what's he thinking? Did he miss the divorce, broken sinner part? And he goes, no, no, seriously, I, I really want you to consider taking a job for the church. Well, I give him the church answer, tell him I'll pray about it, and I go home to relate the, the story to my wife. She says, well, did you ask him what they wanted you to do? I was like, no, I hadn't even thought of that. So... So after a couple weeks of prayer, we go back out to lunch. Of course, Alex is there ready with the job description. And when I read through that job description, it just wrecked me because it literally was a description of what had happened in my own life over the last 10 years. And now they were asking me to come alongside of the church and be involved in allowing God to work through me in the lives of other men. And I mean, the hunger that grew inside me that day, the hunger that began the first time I heard Ben preach up in Cook Auditorium, I can't even explain it. 
It was a hunger to become the man that God had always intended, me, intended for me to be. I can't explain to you now uh, how humble I am to be able to perform a wedding or uh, serve graveside at a funeral, missions trips, continue to lead groups and serve others. Just meeting someone for a cup of coffee, finding out what's going on in their lives and praying with them right there on the spot. So he continues to humble me and use me in bigger and new ways. That part-time position is now full-time ministry. He continues to stretch me and find new ways to use me exactly how he had always intended. And I'm still just continually humbled to be allowed to be a part of it. And I feel like really I'm just getting started. I'm young, despite what Jared would try to tell you. <laughs> but my kids are now getting older, working out their faith on their own. That little baby that started back in growing kids God's way is finishing high school this year and moving off to college. So I know God's still doing this work in me, and I know he wants to do and work in all of you as well. And I think it's worth mentioning 18 years ago when uh, you accepted Christ into your life and you had three little kids, I was in middle school. So there's that. Um, God, God's done a lot in your life. I mean, you, you look at it. Um, one of the things I love is that that element is true, that as we continue to give God glory and humble ourselves before him, he offers us more opportunity to serve him. And we've seen that lived out in Rob. And just like Paul is his pedigree, and it, it would have been easy for Paul to get complacent. It would have been the same for you, but you haven't. Why not? Well, God's taken a broken, messed up, Dundalk kid like me, and what the evil one meant to destroy, he's redeemed and done something really remarkable. He's used my experiences, that pain, to help me help others experience the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. And if that doesn't make you hungry to be a part of the mission of Mountain of making more and better disciples, I just don't know what will. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing. I love Rob's story. Uh, God's transformed you as you've continued to give your life more and more to him. Uh, so you've learned some stuff along the way. It's been a while. Um, you, you've got a captive group of people here ready to hear uh, some parting wisdom. What would you say to them about being humble and being hungry? Well, you don't need a college education right now to realize something's really wrong in our world. And I really do just think it starts with one act of kindness at a time. And maybe it's the husband asking his wife for forgiveness, even if he thinks he's right. And trust me, men, we're usually not. Could be the thing that saves a marriage. Or perhaps parents listening to their kids just a little bit longer and then listening and maybe coming alongside them in a serving activity could be the thing to cut down on the current epidemic of depression and opioid abuse and just all the self-harm that's going on with our students today. Or maybe it's a brother or sister picking up the phone and making a call to another family member and listening or asking for forgiveness could be the thing that brings an entire family back together. We just get dug in so, so hard sometimes on being right and having things our way. And it just wasn't the way of Jesus, was it? Who came and lived a perfect life in the flesh, yet died for my sin. There wasn't any argument from him about who's right and who's wrong. There was just grace forgiveness and love he did that for me and he did that for you well i've got the stage today and i'm not going to be able to leave here without talking about this thing called groups so a little segue here because it had <laughs> such a big impact in my own life you should have got a connecting directory when you came in today and that first cover there talks about welcome the mountain ben talked about the importance of that and if you haven't been it's your first step but this connecting directory is full of just great groups, leaders ready to receive you who have carefully planned out and thought about what they're going to teach this semester. They want to pray with you. They want to encourage you in your spiritual journey. And I just pray that you would make your New Year's resolutions this year to stay humble and stay hungry. Make your top priority to get connected with some others in our community. 
and take that step of faith. Just reach out. I'm hungry. I'm humble for all of you, for my family, for my friends, for our church community. We got this. Yeah, it's good stuff. Thanks for sharing your story, Rob. We really appreciate you. Um, all right, Mountain, your homework. Get humble. Get hungry. See what God does. Uh, it's good stuff. God's got good things in store. Rob, would you close us in prayer? Sure, let's pray. Dear God, help us to continue to lift up our hearts to you. I know that we all have a lot to work on, but thank you for your continued amazing grace poured out so freely. Hmm. May your spirit continue to transform us all. I pray that we would be humbled, submitting our lives to you and considering others above ourselves. Father, we pray that we would be humble in our marriages. Help us to honor and bless our children as the gifts that they are. Help us to see to others' needs and strive to meet them. As we seek to serve the needs of others, may our service transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. And may that birth in us a hunger to continue to serve you above all else. Thank you, God, for yet another day to love and serve you. Amen. Amen. Amen.